The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This week... On the Chicago Bears review, after claiming the first victory of the John Fox era against Oakland, our beloved head back out on the road to Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City to face the 1-3 Kansas City Chiefs. Can the Bears make it two in a row, or will the Chiefs end their losing streak? Seth Kaiser from SB Nation's Arrowhead Pride joins us on the Week 5 preview episode of the Chicago Bears review. With the fourth quarter of the season behind us, the Bears take step one into the second quarter of the season as they face the Kansas City Chiefs. What's going on, everybody? Larry D. back for the Week 5 preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. And in a few moments, we will have my interview with uh, Seth Kaiser from Arrowhead Pride on SB Nation talking about the Bears uh, and the Chiefs. Had a really great conversation uh, with him. We taped it on Tuesday night so we didn't really talk much about uh, injuries uh, or anything like that because it was an off day for both teams so there was no real movement or talk or anything uh, to do on Tuesday but we have plenty to talk about we'll have a little news and notes section here uh, in just a moment uh, to kind of share everything that's gone on with the Bears I think Ryan Pace made like 12 transaction moves on Tuesday alone you know, he promoted guys uh, to the active roster, demoted this guy, signed this guy, and, and uh, you know, waived this guy, uh, and then made another couple of moves today, from what I understand. So uh, plenty to talk about uh, there. Um, injuries is basically going to be the story uh, of the news and notes section uh, because there are plenty to go around uh, with the Bears and uh, one that uh, – is frustrating me uh, to no end, and I'll tell you why uh, in, a, in a moment. So, um, But, you know, look, looking forward to this game, I, I really, really am. And after you guys hear uh, my conversation with Seth, um, if, uh, if this thing was being played in Soldier Field, you know, I, I really, really love the Bears' chances in this game. Talking to Seth, I, I mean, I actually felt better about the Bears' chances after talking to him than I did beforehand going into it. Uh, the Chiefs have been struggling uh, this year. They, uh, they, they won their first game on the road at Houston against the Texans, and then, like the Bears, had a brutal, brutal schedule from there on out. They had Green Bay, or excuse me, they had a Thursday night matchup, so they had short notice against Peyton Manning uh, week number two. Uh, then they had to come back and play on Monday Night Football in Lambeau against the Packers. And then this past week, uh, they had to go to Cincinnati and play the Bengals. Now, every single one of those teams is undefeated, except obviously because uh, except the, for the Texans. But uh, Denver, Green Bay, and Cincinnati are all 4-0 right now. So, I mean, that's uh, that was uh, – I mean, we thought that we had it tough with Green Bay, Arizona, and Seattle to kick off the year – 
you know, I would think that the, the Chiefs are either right there with us or just behind us as far as uh, how tough the first four games of the schedule were uh, for, the, uh, for, that, uh, for them. And, uh, you know, winning percentage-wise, the Chiefs got it hacked by a mile uh, because both the, um, you know, the Raiders, everybody except Green Bay on our schedule has lost the game. Arizona lost their first game last week. Seattle's lost two. Obviously, Oakland's lost two. They lost to the Bears uh, and such. But of the four opponents that Kansas City played in the 16 games, four for each team, their opponents are 13 and three. Four undefeated team, or excuse me, three undefeated, three undefeated teams at four and zero, oh, which is 12. And then the Texans are one and three, so 13 and three. That's crazy. That's that's what they've had to face so far in the first four games. And, you know, as you hear me tell Seth at the very top of the interview, uh, when I was looking at the schedule, when we were headed to Arrowhead week five, I was not expecting to face a one and three Kansas City Chiefs team. And that is the, the, the honest to God truth. I mean, I thought that, you know, maybe they'd be three and one, two and two at the worst going into that football game, not one and three and on a three game losing streak on top of that. So, it is uh it is interesting and and you'll hear Seth he he does the um the X's and O's like the all twenty two uh, breakdown on Arrowhead Pride actually he does it on on Twitter a lot too if you want to check him out uh, on Twitter and uh, so the guy really knows his stuff uh, when it comes to the X's and O's and and breaking it down and uh, you know you hear him get get pretty detailed when I ask him you know what do the Bears need to do to to win the football game uh, on Sunday and he gives a pretty good uh, analysis there so but like I said. Um, you know, it's in Arrowhead, so odds are against us. The the Bears are nine and a half point underdogs going into this game, um, and and I think this is kind of going to be a strength against strength matchup. Um, you know, as as funny as that sounds, because the Chiefs are top ten in the league. They scored twenty five points a game in the first four games of the season, and you know the Bears defense has been getting progressively worse of the last or worse has been getting progressively better. The last couple of weeks, um, you know, just uh, coming after and getting to Russell Wilson, uh, you know, making opportunities for themselves against the Raiders uh, last week. And, uh, you know, so we'll, we'll see how that uh, we'll see how that turns turns out. I'm 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 interested to see uh, how it goes. I mean, the, the real question will be the Bears offense and, and how it it manages against the Kansas City defense, because those are like the question marks right now, actually. Uh, Jay Cutler is is going to be playing in the game. He's still not 100%, or so he says. And, um, you know, the Chiefs were supposed to have a great defense. They have they have talent, and you'll hear Seth break this down in the interview. They have talent back there, and, uh, you know, they have uh, they have uh, Houston, the, 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 the outside linebacker, just signed a big J.J. Watt $100 million contract. They have Tom Bahali, Don Terry Poe uh, across the defensive line, but they haven't really been coming after it the way that they have and with the Bears injuries up front on the offensive line this we might be ripe for the picking as far as you know Houston uh, is concerned so um, you know he might be licking his chops to get his hands uh, on on the Bears and and uh, you know Charles Leno at the left tackle position uh, uh, Kyle Long is is a little banged up and everything so uh, they might be chomping at the bit to get their hands on him Jay's not 100 uh, percent either I don't know about Alshon Jeffrey yet and and everything else so you know will the Chiefs defense be using this game to propel themselves 
kind of like even in a losing effort, the Bears used that performance against the Seahawks to propel themselves to a better performance against the Raiders and the victory and so on. So will the defense finally snap out of it against the Bears, or will we be able to bring enough offense to make a difference? So that's uh, going to be the real question uh, for me because going into this game, I actually have a bit more confidence in the defense than I do in the offense because the defense is the one that's been consistent the last couple of weeks. The offense... Not so much because we don't know what to get, what we're going to get from from Jay or how healthy he will be and uh, and so on. Even though he looked great uh, against the Raiders, you still just never know it with those hamstring injuries. And, uh, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. So uh, even though I've kind of given away half of it already, let's go ahead and dive into the news and notes sections before we get to our interview with Seth. And like I said, the news and notes section is mainly going to be about the injuries and uh, kind of the lack thereof on the Kansas City side and the plethora is the word that I like to use for the amount of injuries that we have on the Chicago Bears side. But before we go diving into that grimness, um, one fantastic shred of news that we have this week. Robbie Gold was the NFC defensive player of our defensive special teams player of the week. Uh, you know, for his efforts against the Raiders on Sunday, three field goals, the the two in the fourth quarter, one from 54 and the game winner from 49 uh, yards did an outstanding job. And, and, you know, was the difference between the Bears uh, winning and losing uh, on Sunday to the uh, to the Oakland Raiders. So a big uh, bear up to Robbie Gold for being the NFC special teams player uh, of the week. So let's go ahead and, and get into this. Um, injury report here there are one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen lucky number thirteen bears on this uh injured list uh this week and um let's start with the uh with the obvious ones uh jermon bushrod our left tackle uh has not practiced yet this week still in the nfl concussion protocol uh system uh concussion and a shoulder injury to to boot has not practiced yet this week uh patrick omeme who stepped in on short notice on sunday um at left guard and had matt slawson move into the inside after will montgomery went down uh he is on injured reserve as a matter of fact Uh, will montgomery is the uh the broken fibula that he suffered against oakland uh quite possibly his last play uh for the bears at center because uh you know they kind of thought that uh or you know popular thinking anyway was that he was going to be a one-year holdover until uh, Haronis Grassu, our third round pick was possibly ready to take over the position in 2016 but um you know or 2016 not 20,000 I'm a mess today it's been a long day so just bear with me here um but uh Grassu, in fact might uh, be zeroing in on his first start this Sunday uh, against the Chiefs because of the injury to Patrick Omeme, who's been nursing an ankle injury, has not practiced yet this week. Grassu's been taking snaps at center with the number ones, and Slauson's been at his regular spot at left guard. So uh, if uh, if Omeme can't go, Slauson's going to be our left guard, and Grassu's going to be the tackle. So, um, you know, it's um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens uh, there. Uh, the other two... 
uh, did not practice guys our antro role with an ankle injury. Remember the x-rays were negative, so he did not break a bone or anything like that uh, in his lower leg there. And Eddie Royal, also with an ankle injury, has yet to practice uh, this week. Um, the only other person who hasn't practiced, Sherrick McManus didn't practice on Wednesday, was limited on Thursday with a hamstring injury. Speaking of hamstrings, our beloved quarterback, the one and only Jay Cutler, limited in practice with his own hamstring injury, says he won't be 100% when the game kicks off on Sunday, but uh, he says that he will, and I quote, make do because there are other guys on the team that are injured. So, you know, he's good enough to go. He's going to go on Sunday. Alshon Jeffrey, on the other hand, uh, made a comment um, this week that um, it makes me nuts is what it does. Uh, it really does. It, it reminded me of a moment. It reminded me of the moment that turned me against Curtis Conway. If you guys remember him, was the first draft choice of the Dave Wanstat era. Ironically enough, the seventh overall pick and a wide receiver. Just, just pointing out the coinky dink there. But um, he um, suffered an ankle injury. I forget what year it was. I want to say it was like 97, 98, somewhere uh, in that area. And it was an ankle sprain that kept him out for six weeks. Six weeks. And at the time, to me, that sounded like the most ridiculous thing in the world because that there was a time in high school where I suffered the worst ankle sprain I ever had in my life on Tuesday but was good enough to go in, a, in the football game on Saturday. I just couldn't fathom that an ankle injury could be so bad that you couldn't play on it for six weeks. And then the sideline reporter asked Curtis Conway how he felt about it, and the, the sideline reporter said, and this is what the reporter said, I'm being the reporter now, and I quote, Eh, so so after six weeks he's still so 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 at that point i was like screw curtis conway i'm getting there with alshon jeffrey because he says that after missing all of preseason and all but you know what like three quarters of a football game against the packers his hamstring injury is and i quote a process so to me that translates into don't plan on seeing me play football on sunday that's what that means to me. So this is just getting a, a little ridiculous uh, with Alshon Jeffrey. He needs to get out there because we need him. You know, Jay is out there. He's out there because we need him. He saw what we were doing on offense without him against Seattle, and he worked his butt off and he got back out there, and now he's playing, helped us get a win uh, on Sunday. Alshon's still in street clothes and a baseball cap on the sidelines watching the Bears do it without him. So I don't know how he thinks he's going to get paid, doing this because he's not valuable to us on the sideline he just isn't so and um you know so i'm just getting like i said i'm getting frustrated with uh with alshon uh kyle long on the other hand nursing back and ankle injuries himself has been limited in practice but he is expected to go on sunday uh shay mcclellan nursing an elbow injury has been limited so far uh this week everybody on the roster or on the excuse me on the on the injury list is limited uh, except for those five guys that I said had not practiced yet. Pat O'Donnell's been limited with his right knee injury, but uh, the thinking that he's going to be going because we did cut Spencer Lanning uh, earlier this week. Uh, Jay Ratliff, uh, who was eligible to play last week but didn't, I think he was inactive against the Raiders, still limited with that ankle injury, but that's a guy who's about five or six weeks into an ankle injury too. 
So, but he's also in his 30s and a defensive lineman, so he weighs twice what Curtis Conway did, and uh, you know he's also older than he was. And then finally, Will Sutton on our defensive line was uh, was kind of a somewhat of a healthy scratch last week against the Raiders. I mean, he was healthy enough to dress, but did not play uh, against the Raiders last week, also with an elbow injury. On the Chiefs side of things, uh, there are four names on the on the injury list. Uh, three of them practiced. Two of them were full participation. One was limited. One did not practice at all. Josh uh, Muaga, the linebacker with a groin and Achilles injuries, is the one that did not practice. Travis Kelsey, the tight end, and James O'Shaughnessy, um, who some uh, who Bear fans may know because he's a local product from Illinois State, much like our Cameron Meredith. They were teammates last year on their uh, on their run to be uh, national uh, runner-ups to the four-time defending champion, North Dakota State. A fantastic championship game, by the way. I mean, even though college football, big college football, Division One has their quote-unquote playoff now, Division One AA, or the FCS as they call it, that's the real playoff. That's the real national championship as far as I'm concerned. you got 24 teams now, 24 teams in their playoff and they played to the last man. Illinois State and North Dakota State played for the title last year. It was an amazing, amazing football uh, game. O'Shaughnessy was, I think, a fifth-round pick uh, for the um, for the Chiefs and uh, made some big plays against the uh, against the Broncos on the Thursday night game that I was watching. And uh, he's been full participation uh, with a uh, hand injury. Uh, Travis Kelsey was was uh, nursing thumb and groin injuries himself. And then Wilson Albert, or Albert Wilson, I should say, a wide receiver, was limited with a shoulder injury this week. So only four names on the list. Three of them are probably going to play on Sunday, which basically means there's only one guy on the injury list for the Chiefs. The Bears have 13, so take that uh, for what you will. And then finally in uh, roster moves, like I said, Ryan Pace was very busy uh, on Tuesday. He re-signed uh, safety Sherrod Martin, adding him to the uh to the secondary signed to the 53-man roster to add depth for the uh for for probably missing out on Antro role for a, a little while with that uh with that ankle injury uh nate becton an offensive tackle was promoted from the practice squad to the 53-man roster to replace the injured will montgomery who as i said is on the injured reserve list now and then the bears signed two more to the practice squad uh brandon dunn who was in uh who was in the preseason uh, with the Bears, played well from time to time, and center Barrett Jones. Now, if that name sounds familiar to you, it's because he was the the center, and actually he played a couple of positions on that line in that uh, three championships and four seasons run that Alabama had uh, at the beginning of the decade uh, there, and uh, he won uh, he won one of the offensive lineman awards. Was a fourth round pick uh, for the Rams a few years ago. Has kind of bounced around the league a little bit uh, since then. Bears sign him off the street to the practice squad. And, um, you know, that's a guy you might want to keep an eye on him, you know, because in some places it's not so much that the guy doesn't have the ability, but he's not in the right situation. Something's I, – I got a feeling about Barrett Jones. He might be sticking around uh, for a while. Now, in the corresponding roster moves, uh, John Timu, uh, linebacker, the rookie, rookie free agent, uh, punter Spencer Lanning, like I said, and nose tackle Terry Wilson were all released – or waived uh, on uh, on Tuesday, and uh, I can tell you now that uh, John Timu wa- uh, cleared waivers and has been re-signed to the practice squad, so he's back with the uh, 
with the Bears. That was the the one move that uh, Ryan Pace made uh, today. So that was a mouthful, wasn't it? Those were all the roster moves, and that all happened in one day. So that's uh, Sherrod Martin, one. Nate Becton, two. Barrett Jones, Brandon Dunn, that's four. Timu Landing Williams, that's seven. And then, you know, throwing Timu back on the team, has, that's eight. So eight roster moves this week alone uh, for Ryan Pace. The guy's, uh, guy's keeping busy, that's for sure. So, But, um, you know, so that's all we got for the, for the news and notes section. Like I said, it had mostly to do with injuries. A lot of these roster moves were because of injuries as well. Will Montgomery and Andrew Roll pretty much influencing those two new signees to the uh, 53-man roster. So we'll move on to the uh, to this conversation that I had with Seth uh, from Arrowhead Pride uh, on SB Nation. Like I said, talented guy. He does the All-22 breakdown uh, for Arrowhead Pride. If you follow him on Twitter, it's real MN, as in Minnesota, MN Chiefs fan uh, on Twitter. He does this All-22 breakdown. And even though it's about the Chiefs, it's still really interesting to take a peek at if you're interested to uh, – to uh to take a look at it from uh from time to time so um nonetheless uh the week five preview let's move on to it myself with seth keezer from arrowhead pride on sp nation and here to talk about the bears and the chiefs week number five at arrowhead stadium and again, I must begin this interview with an apology, Seth. For the last several <laughs> weeks, I've been telling my listeners Seth Kieser was coming on the show when it is, in fact, Seth Kaiser from Arrowhead Pride on SB Nation joining us. Seth, welcome to the show, and please accept my apology. Oh, you know what? I, I, I forgive you this time. That's more than okay. I, I've been dealing with that for the last 30 years. Right. So. Yeah, just like somehow my last name is Dyer, D-Y-E-R. <laughs> But for some reason, I've been drier and Dwyer my whole life. Sure. Yeah, people just they really want to put that extra letter yeah, in there. Yeah, I don't know where those extra letters come from and how someone could screw up a name with so few letters in it. But it, it <laughs> marveled me throughout the years uh, in school. But nonetheless, welcome to the show. Now, Seth, I've, I, when I looked at the schedule, we talked about this just briefly before we got started. When I looked mm -hmm. at the schedule for the Bears this year and i saw the first three games that we had against green bay arizona seattle we had that what i was hoping would be our first winnable game in week four i was not expecting to be facing a one in three team in kansas city when we came to arrowhead on sunday right. so you know so what's been I, I i can tell you the uh chiefs fans were not expecting to have a one in three team right. um hosting the the bears um it's it's been it's been a really rough year so far. So I mean, is it because I I was reading your article on SB Nation before we got started tonight, um, right? Saying how you know maybe they aren't just that good. So is is the the current three game losing streak is it due to them not being that good or due to the fact that the Chiefs probably have the one schedule more difficult than the Bears to start the season? <laughs> It's, you know, the, the short answer is I don't know. Okay. It's really tough to say. Um, you know, where the Chiefs were at as they came into the year, they were an okay team last year, not great. They got some pieces back on defense, and the defense looked like it would be fantastic, and it's been really bad. On the other hand, like you alluded to, they, they faced, in the last three weeks, three undefeated teams that, outside the Patriots, you could probably argue are three of the best teams in the NFL 
in the Broncos with an incredible defense, the Packers with Aaron Rodgers, and a Bengals team that might be the most balanced team in the league. And so I just, I genuinely don't know. Hopefully it's not that they're that bad, but good teams are supposed to beat other good teams. And the Chiefs haven't even given good teams games the last two weeks. So I don't know. Yeah, because I, I I watched that Thursday night game uh, against the uh, the Broncos. I mean, <laughs> I mean that that one had to sting uh, for sure. I was I was there for that. Oh, one. Oh yay! Yep, I was at Arrowhead. Um, that was the you. I don't know if you've ever heard seventy thousand people gasp in shock. It like sucked the oxygen out of the stadium. It was impressive. Like if it was a dome, you would have brought the roof down. Everybody in oh, oh, at absolutely. the same time. No, I'm. I'm fairly certain that someone in there probably suffocated. Yeah. But, I mean, no, when Charles fumbled that football, it was, you know, that game, though, to be perfectly honest, wasn't that frustrating. It was with the fumbles, and they gave it away. But they really outplayed the Broncos. They just turned the ball over five times. Yeah, so. It wasn't so bad. Getting absolutely mollywopped by the Packers was much worse. Yeah. Because that wasn't even close. And really, the Bengals game after about the third, uh, late in the third, wasn't all that close either. So those are the more concerning games to me where they couldn't even really be competitive. Right, and, and it's got to be frustrating to, to come out of the gates the way they did against the Texans, you know, albeit right. obviously the weakest team on, in that first four-game stretch. But, the, you know, 27 points out of the gate, and, you know, Kelsey, right. the tight end, has an all-world, you know, opener, and then – to, 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 to have the performance that you had going into the fourth quarter against the Broncos only to basically give it away there at the end. And then No, it's it's frustrating. Yeah, to, to watch it go downhill the last two weeks against Green Bay and Cincinnati. Right. And yeah, it's um it really and like you, you talked about the article I wrote there and it really is a matter of maybe just accepting the fact that Chiefs defense was supposed to be great. And so far it hasn't been. They uh they lost their their third corner Philip Gaines, which in today's NFL, if you don't have a competent third cornerback, you're going to get killed. Yeah, and that's what's been happening. Uh, whoever they have playing in the nickel corner set, who's your, who's your slot receiver? Is that Eddie Royal right now? Well, actually, it's difficult to say. If Alshon Jeffrey is healthy, it would be Eddie Royal or Marquise Wilson, one of the two. But the fact mm-hmm. that Alshon Jeffrey hasn't seen a blade of grass since Week One. Um, right. It could be Josh Bellamy. It could be Eddie. Mm-hmm. It, and you also know that Adam Gase, you know him well, being a former coordinator for the Broncos, you know how he likes to mix it up. So sometimes Eddie Royal is going to be the yeah. outside. Sometimes he'll be in the slot. But more times than not, Eddie Royal is going to be the slot guy. Yeah. Right. I would, if, if, you're, if you're running FanDuel this week, I'd pick up Royal because whoever he has covering him in the slot is not going to be good. Wow. And, and that's not, you know. It's not a matter of, you know, the guys they've got out there, you know, Jameel Fleming, Marcus Cooper, they're decent fourth or fifth corners. They're good special teams guys, but they should not be out there playing 90% of the snaps. They just shouldn't. And that's that, that's the reality. Every And so then they got desperate enough that this last week they brought the free safety, Ron Parker. They tried him out in slot corner against <laughs> mostly A.J. Green. That went about as well as you'd expect right. um, in that I, he, he gave up at least – 150 yards <laughs> it was bad <laughs> when it's just you know it's aj green yeah. so what are you gonna do but um yeah they they don't have the personnel to run the defense they want to run right now so i mean is is that why they've had i mean because i was just looking at it and you guys have the 10th best scoring offense in the league but you're you're tied for 31st in the league as far as giving up 
points. Right. So you're 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 scoring about twenty five, but you're giving up about thirty one uh, points uh, a game. I mean, even even in the one game that that the Chiefs have won this year, they gave up twenty points to the Texans, right. and that's so so far that's the low end of what they've allowed so far. Right. They well, what's ended up happening? Like I said, they they lost their third corner, which again. You know, it, it sounds like a pretty weak excuse, but the type of uh, defense that Bob Sutton, the defensive coordinator they got there, has been running, he runs a really basic, um, you know, press man uh, coverage scheme that really involves all three of your corners need to be able to survive on an island where you roll one safety single high. You usually have another safety kind of in the box. That's generally Eric Berry. And he, they rely on two things. One, getting pressure, and particularly interior pressure. And two, you've got to have three corners that can hold up in coverage. And when you don't have that third corner that can hold up on his own, everything falls apart. And so far, Bob Sutton hasn't shown the ability to change his scheme to adjust for losing the players he needs or the players that he had running that those positions last year. It just it hasn't worked. And so that's been the big problem. They don't have currently the personnel to run the scheme that Sutton wants to run. And so far, he hasn't proven willing to adapt to that. Now, on the offensive side, I mean, you went all of 2014 without throwing a touchdown pass to a wide receiver. So <laughs> I, I'd never heard that, really. Is that right? That's... You know, that's you learn something new every day, you know. Uh, um, but, I mean, even even regardless that of that, you know, the Chiefs have never been known as an explosive offense anyway, at least not since the days of, you know, Trent Green and, and – and such but you know even with that uh you finally did throw a touchdown pass to a re receiver was it was it last week or was it against green bay or it was it was it was against green bay it was to jeremy macklin macklin so that's well at least he's earning some of his paycheck right he hey you know i i will say and I'll, I'll let you get to the question but you know macklin right now i mean he's in the top 10 in the league in yards he's he's on pace for like 1700 yards or something oh. he's he's been a bright spot it's the rest of the team that's been terrible. Right, so that was going to be my question. I mean, you had yep. seven scoring drives on Sunday against the Bengals. <laughs> the only problem was none of them Just, were touchdowns. So, well, you know, they really they wanted to give Cairo Santos a workout. I yeah, guess. you know, wanted to get his wanted to get his jersey dirty a little bit, something, or give him a reason to take right. a shower after the game. <laughs> yeah, well, they yeah, finally get a kicker to work out. Um, no, those were that was a frustrating game to watch. They were moving the ball. Smith threw for like 370 yards. Yeah, that, that is not yeah. that is not a typical Alex Smith. Well, he's sixth in the league in passing yards right now. <laughs> That's not Alex Smith. Um, basically, what what you had happen there is Andy Reid finally maybe I don't know he got all the hate mail he's been getting from Chiefs fans lately. He he, he changed up the offensive scheme a little bit. Went mostly pistol and shotgun and spread spread the uh, defense out a little bit with three receiver sets because Alex Smith has been getting killed. The offensive line is bad, like bad, 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 particularly at right guard. Hmm. And they, fi they finally spread things out, and so the offense started moving the ball a lot. Then they get to the red zone, and Andy Reid, I'm sure you've heard the expression outsmarting your common sense. Yeah, That's Andy Reid. He, he's, he's a brilliant coach, but he trusts his scheme, not his players. And so they get to, I mean, I don't know if you watch the game at all, just to kind of review the opponent you got upcoming. They get to the red zone, and then they run like this double reverse end around to DeAnthony Thomas that gets blown up for an eight-yard loss. Or they try to run cutesy little wide receiver screens or quick outs that 
the whole world sees coming. Like if I'm watching on my couch and I see it coming, I'm pretty sure a defensive coordinator is probably going to see it coming too. Right. And you know, and that's what ends up happening. They, they, he's, he actually kind of opened up the offense a little bit. Even the you know, Alex Smith was throwing deep. I didn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> and then they get to, you know, the, about the 30 and they went right back to the kind of cutesy stuff and it just doesn't work. Yeah, everyone knows it's coming. What you're describing so, to me is is Mark Tressman's offensive calling in the in in 2014, because the Bears with Marshall and Jeffrey and Matt Forte and Martellus Bennett were murderers from the 20 to the 20. But you get into the red zone, and all of a sudden, we forget how to play offense, or now we've got three <laughs> tight ends out there for some reason. Right. And, oh, yeah, the, oh, the three tight end sets. Reed's been doing that too, and. No, it's really it, you can almost see the the thought process there is you can almost see it's like okay, well we have Jamal Charles, one of the best two or three running backs alive. Yeah, they'll expect us to give him the ball. So we also have Travis Kelsey, a fantastic tight end. They'll expect that too. So what we'll do instead is use them as decoys. They'll never see it coming, and it, it's it sounds good on paper. Yeah, but. You know, there's a reason the Patriots throw the ball to Gronk about 95% of the time in the red zone mm-hmm. because it works. Yeah. yeah. I remember uh, Jim Brown's coach back in the day when he was, you know, destroying the whole league with the Browns. Um, they asked about using him too much and not scheming enough. And he said, well, when you have the biggest gun, you shoot it. Right. And I think that's a bit of uh, wisdom that Andy Reid has lost. Yeah, that, that kind of reminds me. I'm getting flashbacks now of a game that we played against the Lions where on on back-to-back one plays from the one-yard line, we had passing personnel. We had Jeffrey and Marshall and every wide receiver we have on the roster out there, and we tried to run the ball, got stuffed for like a three-yard loss. Then we brought every tight end we have on the roster came out for the next play, and we tried to throw it. And It's like – it's like it's like he mixed up the play calls and the formations yeah. there. So I mean, it the, was what maybe you run from the four. Right. <laughs> it was brutal. It was brutal. Now, aside from your, because um, this could be something that could help the the Chiefs on Sunday, is aside from your kicking game, which we all found out yesterday or Sunday was pretty solid. Um, Absolutely. How are the rest of your special teams unit? Because that has been a major weakness for the Bears so far this year. Um, you know, this year the special teams unit hasn't been that good. The last couple years, well, I'm re- and I always mispronounce his name. I'm assuming you're familiar with Dave Taub. Tobe, yes. Uh, Tobe, yes. Every time. My brother actually and, went to high school with his son. Oh, really? Yeah. That's funny. So, yeah, he, well, and you're, I'm sure you're familiar with his work. He, he's a fantastic special teams oh, coach. Oh, yes. One of the best. They've, they've been phenomenal the last couple of years. This year they really struggled with penalties for a couple of weeks. Hmm. And it was kind of a weird deal, and it hasn't been quite as explosive. But I'll tell you, if your if your punt return coverage isn't on point, DeAnthony Thomas is ridiculous. He is he's incredibly talented. Um, yeah, as far as kick returning go, Nile Davis hasn't done much. Um, their coverage hasn't been good, but that would be the one thing to look out for. If your punt coverage hasn't been good, um, Thomas is he he's he's exceptional at returning punts. Yeah, we're more concerned with the with the kick return portion because last week against the Raiders we pooched every kickoff oh, just, oh they, just to, it was that well in week two and week three 105 108 yard kickoff returns to start a half oh, um, opening yeah. opening kickoff against Arizona opening kickoff of the half against Seattle mm. 105 108 yards and uh, Green Bay broke one uh, week one but we we kept them from scoring 
uh, on that yeah, one. So yay, <laughs> a little win there. Yeah. So, but um, it's, that's you know, that's how bad it was that we 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 purposely avoided kicking deep against the Raiders on Sunday. That's bad. Yeah. Well, and, and Niall Davis has run a couple of kicks back in his day, and he's incredibly fast. But he's 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 not having a great season this year with it. So, I mean, it, it'd be something to keep an eye on, but I wouldn't necessarily be too afraid. Plus, I'm kind of trying to reverse jinx it. Hopefully, he runs back like six. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just just why the hell not, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's only weird if it doesn't work. So what do the Chiefs have to do in order to win the game on Sunday? Um, I actually, I've, uh, I mean, on offense, I, I've got an article coming out tomorrow where I talk about the difference in the Chiefs' offensive efficiency when they're in shotgun or pistol formations versus when Alex Smith lines up under center. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a stark contrast. They have far fewer negative plays. And negative plays have been what's killing the Chiefs' offense. They, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll move the ball, they'll get a few first downs, and then they'll get like a loss of six on just some ridiculous play. Or they'll give up a sack. Alex Smith is on pace to get sacked. Like, it, it's in the 70s. Wow. This season. It's, and it's immediate pressure. It's right up the interior. And some of it, though, he brings on himself. Smith hangs onto the ball for too long. And so it's like, you know, both ends of it are, are rough. And so the negative plays have been killing them. However, when, they, when they've when shifted to the shotgun, like I mentioned earlier, and they spread they spread the defense out horizontally a little bit, yeah. you know, put Macklin out wide and either Chris Conley or Albert Wilson, who have a great deal of speed out wide, as well as Kelsey, maybe further out in the slot, it forces the defense to spread out horizontally and gives Charles some running rooms because the run blocking hasn't been good either. Mm-hmm. And Charles just needs a split second. And if you can get the defense to back off a little bit, he does really well. And so they've been they've been efficient in that area. It's just Reed seems to keep kind of wanting to go back to his old staples. So they'll, like I was saying, they'll move the ball pretty well, and then they'll go back to doing what he did, and it'll stop. Okay. Um, so what they need to do is just, you know, the whole kiss concept, keep it simple, stupid, do what's working Right. Um, on offense. They, they need to spread the ball out and try to function like a more standard spread NFL offense, which it's that's weird to say when Alex Smith is the quarterback because that's not his game generally. But it's what's been working for him this year. And so if if they can do that on offense, and then plus obviously the, the answer always is to get Jamal Charles going. I think he had 11 carries last week. And what made that even worse is he had, he had like, it was like five and a half yards of carry on those 11 carries. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's it's maddening. Charles is phenomenal, but if you don't give him the ball, um, and then as far as on defense goes, they've got to get back to getting pressure. Um, Cincinnati they they got good pressure in their first three games. Aaron Rodgers it just didn't matter because he's a robot sent back in time. Right. Um, you know, man. Oh, I hate that guy. Yeah, you're not alone, <laughs> oh, bro. You're not. Yeah. Oh, he's so good at quarterback, and that's the problem. That is the problem. Is that he's so? He's, he's so. Good. He's he's so good. That's what's frustrating. <laughs> so, oh, it was making me so mad. But anyway, that aside, they were getting good pressure on the quarterback, and then Cincinnati's offensive line, which is just exceptional. They were so good. They allowed I, Dalton didn't even get hit all game, hmm. not even by Justin Houston, who always gets to the quarterback. Right. I mean, so they got to get back to that. Um, you know, Dontari Poe has been struggling with kind of a back thing. He hasn't been a hundred percent. They need to. He, they need to limit his snaps more and get Jay Howard on the field more. Um, but they just need to get back to pressuring the quarterback, and they need to find some way to protect their their nickel 
corners, whether that's rolling, you know, rolling a safety up a little in their direction. But what they're doing right now doesn't work. Marcus Peters, the rookie, has been fantastic. Mm -hmm. Sean Smith is a good corner, but they've got to protect that third corner. Otherwise, Eddie Royal could have 200 yards receiving, and I'm not kidding. Like, he, he could he could legitimately go for 200 yards receiving with the coverage that they've been giving. Because Royal can play. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, on, on the on the offensive side of things, so, so the offensive line is, is struggling. Have they figured out where they're going to put Eric Fisher? Because I've he- been hearing him bouncing from one I, end of the offensive line to the other. I think they might be playing him at wide receiver next okay. week. I don't um, they He's going to stay at right tackle. Okay. Although, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, Fisher's had kind of a long journey. He struggled with injuries his first couple of years. And being the number one overall pick, fans turn on you quick. Right. Um, he actually, I mean, he, he was playing in preseason and he, he looked really good because his strength, that was always his issue was his strength. The athleticism is great. He's built like a left tackle, his strength. He just wasn't quite strong enough. He looked good. Well, then he got injured and Donald Stevenson slid in and replaced him and played really, really, really well. So Reed decided, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Fisher can play right tackle, put him there. Well, now Stevenson, the left tackle, has just been getting destroyed the last couple weeks, whereas Fisher is playing pretty well at right tackle. Okay. And so you just know that what's going to come into Reed's head, well, you know, now that Fisher's playing better, maybe I should put him at left tackle and then mess with the line again. Right. I I think for at least the foreseeable future, though, he's going to stick at right tackle. He's been playing pretty well. Um, It's the the right guard situation. They, They swapped in a new guy. Uh, Zach Fulton this last week, and he was just as bad as the guy who was in there before him. Um, it's been a, a sieve. And even the left side, like I said, Stevenson's been struggling. Even Ben Grubbs, who, uh, you know, he was brought over from New Orleans, and he started the season really well. Um, he just, he had a really, really rough game against Green Bay and wasn't particularly good against Cincinnati either. The old line as a whole is just struggling. Okay. So even though you've pretty much been giving us the the blueprint here if if i'm <laughs> if i'm the bears how do i attack the to the how do i attack the chiefs on defense um when the bears are on defense when the bear well either way you want you can answer them both sure so okay so when the bears are on defense they 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 should do a bunch of stunts and twists okay. um specifically into the a gaps um the chiefs haven't shown the ability to pick up blitzes in that area either um, Mitch Morse, their rookie center, has been doing pretty well, but they're still they're just not picking him up quickly enough. Um, what they really need to do, you know, Smith has been throwing deep lately, which is again a weird sentence to say, <laughs> but he has been hitting the intermediate and deep throws more. But it's only been a couple weeks. Uh, if I were them, I would I would roll one safety single high, keep everyone else within eight yards of the line of scrimmage, and dare him to take a couple shots while sending four or five every time. And, you know, you obviously have to be careful with those blitzes because if you let Charles get past you in a draw, you're in trouble. Yeah. But if I were them, I would just, I would attack that relentlessly. And I would also send a, a quite a few blitzes and delayed blitzes in the direction of, uh, of Donald Stevenson, who so far, the left tackle, who so far has, he's got a ton of physical ability, but for whatever reason, when it seems like he's forced to make a decision, he just doesn't. 
And then, you know, you, you know, with the old linemen, you, you try to block two guys, you end up blocking none. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a constant with him. And so that's the thing. Cause if you can, if you can get some pressure in Smith's face, his pocket presence isn't terrific. He'll, he'll start seeing ghosts and he'll start tucking and running. He'll, he'll start just chucking the ball out of bounds and he, you, he can be rattled. And so that's the main thing. And then obviously, and there's really no scheme way for this, but they just got to make sure they're stout at the point of attack. Because if the running game starts working, Reed will stick with it if Charles starts kind of having a good day. Mm-hmm. But there's really no scheme for that. It's just a matter of, you know, get the big uglies in there and, and do some damage. Right. How about on, um, the, on the offensive side? Um, they, they should do exactly what the Bengals, the Packers, and then Peyton Manning in the last half uh, against Denver did is find get three wide receivers on the field, find that uh, nickel corner, whoever they've got playing nickel corner, and throw the ball at him 20 times. And I, you know, I'm not saying 20 for the sake of humor. I mean, it's funny in a way to me, like in kind of like, you know, you know, a funeral is funny <laughs> to me. But um, it's, uh, I really do mean 20 times. Whether they've got, you know, Ron Parker's a good, good free safety, but he is terrible at mirroring routes. His footwork isn't good. He just he's always a half second behind despite his speed. Um Fleming's too slow. Cooper doesn't have good instincts. I mean, again, these are guys they're not absolutely horrific, but when they're asked to play man coverage against a good receiver like Royal, they ought to just put Royal in the slot. Or if Jeffrey can play line him up there every now and then too, and just pick at that scab over and over and over and over and over again. And that's what I mean, that's what Manning did to come back. That's what Rodgers did all night. That's what Dalton and the Bengals did. Mm-hmm. I mean, every the last three weeks, whoever the Chiefs have had at the nickel corner spot has given up at least a hundred yards receiving. It's it's been brutal, and so that's what I would do there. I mean, you just consistently pick on that guy. Um, you know, get Forte going. The run defense hasn't been particularly good, mm-hmm. and uh, Forte is a stud. Yeah. And so they, they can take advantage of uh, particularly Tom Bahali uh, coming from that uh, the weak side linebacker. He has a tendency to get over-aggressive in his rush. Hmm. Um, and so they should leak out Forte repeatedly for, you know, quick little dump-offs and screens. And Bahali uh, will get too far upfield. Doing it on Houston's side doesn't usually work. He's pretty disciplined and he's very fast. But Bahali is just, you can tell he's lost a half step. And he can't quite keep up on those. So that's what I would do, and I think you'd probably put up about sixty doing it. <laughs> <laughs> now that that slot receiver, uh, you know, or attacking the the nickel corner, do you think that would work the same if we lined up Bennett out there? I I do. Generally speaking, what would happen then is the Chiefs would rotate either Tyvon Branch or Hussein Abdullah, um, both of whom are good coverage safeties, mm-hmm. and so they actually they would be a little better equipped to handle that. But the thing is, Bennett's not the type of tight end that any safety is really equipped. Right. Um, he really Bennett's in that class of, of guys right up there with Kelsey, who in the human segment of tight ends, you know, you got to exclude the Gronk because he's not human. Right. But like in the human segment of tight ends, Bennett's right up there at the top, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the thing is though, Ab- Abdullah and Branch are both significantly better coverage guys than whoever they would have covering a wide receiver. It actually wouldn't surprise me if they tried to have Abdullah or Branch cover receivers this week because what they're doing isn't working. Um, so that, that's kind of the thing. You, you end up getting Bennett 
in a mismatch, but it might not be as big a mismatch as you'd get just rolling with Royal there. All right. So I think that's all I have for you, Seth. Um, but I would like to end the the interview on a high note. And one mm. thing that I asked all of the other, you know, SB Nation guys that I've had on the show when I t- had them on the show for the first time was, you know, what was your, your favorite moment? Because I'm assuming you grew up as a Chiefs fan. Um, I did. So what would be that crowning Chiefs moment that you can always kind of go back to as kind of like your happy place when things get low? Oh, sure. It's uh, which they do quite a bit with uh, the Chiefs. Um, you know, I've I've got I've got a few of them, obviously, like everyone else. But it would have to be the moment that I became a Chiefs fan, hmm. which um, I you know my my pseudonym when I write on Super Bowl Nation is Minnesota Chiefs fan because I'm from Minnesota. Um, I I I didn't. I'm not. I'm from North Dakota and Minnesota. I didn't live in the Kansas City area initially growing up. We moved down there when I was in like I don't know third or fourth grade, give or take. Okay. And this happened to be during the time frame where Joe Montana played for the Chiefs. Ah. He just come over, and they had those crushing defenses. And I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah, and so uh, the 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 thing is. Since, you know, this was before DirecTV and stuff, my dad was a hardcore Vikings fan, but he kind of adopted the Chiefs because he liked their hardcore defense, sure. he, you know, and they were who was available to watch. Yeah, Neil Smith and, and so, Derek Thomas. Yep, and they, I mean, they were, I mean, Dale Carter and James Hayes, I mean, those those defenses were insane. Um, but anyway, and so we, uh, we would watch games together and stuff, and... Um, there was a there was a Monday night game, and again, I'm sure you see where I'm going with this yep. at the, at Denver, and I believe it was '93. You know, the the Mile High Magic or oh, whatever yeah. anyone wants to call it. I don't know. Mile High Meltdown might be what Broncos fans call it. I have no idea, but you know, it was the game where Elway had driven down and gone up with like a minute 23 to go, and then Montana marched him down the field, scored the go ahead touchdown with a few seconds to go. Um, that was the game that hooked me in because I remember you know, being all bummed out when the, the Broncos went down and scored to go yeah. ahead. You know, I'm a kid, and I was just like, oh, you know, it's over. You know, I'm trying to bond with my dad over it. I'm like, oh, they're going to lose. Oh. My dad kind of looks at me. He's like, you know, son, that's Joe Montana. This isn't over. And I had no idea what he meant because, you know, I was like, you know, you know, nine. Right. And so I was like, what's a Joe Montana? He's like, you'll see. And so <laughs> they they take it down the field, and they score, and, you know, we're going crazy in the living room. And that, I just... I couldn't shake it. We moved back up to the North Dakota, Minnesota area a few years later. Mm. My dad tried to get me to become a Vikings fan, and it was too late, man. I was hooked. <laughs> and so that's that's what I, you know, Joe Montana. And I think if you talk to a lot of uh, Chiefs fans my age, mm-hmm. that's that's kind of what happened with them, too, is the, the Montana years were kind of what hooked them in. Yeah, that's that's not surprising at all. I, re- I remember that game very, very well. It was It was around that time... Uh, this was post Mike Ditka. We're into the Wanstat years, so things are things <laughs> are on a downturn. Years. Oh, good God, were they ever! I mean, it, we're still kind of in that dark period. I mean, Lovey gave us somewhat of a reprieve, but for the most part, it's been down years yeah, for the yeah, Bears ever since Ditka for left. A while you had some stuff going for you. Well, we were competitive at least when you Lovey were. was around, but as being as far as being able to finish like we did when we had Ditka. Not so much, right. but yeah, not so much, you know, but this was around the time that I started paying attention to more of the NFL. And that was one of those games that kind of always sticks in there that that Montana Elway shootout on Monday night in mile high. That's always going to be one of those games that I remember 
as right. you know, this is why I watch football, Absolutely. not just the Bears. It, it felt like there was more at stake there than just one game. It really felt like um, that was, uh, you know, I and mean, Elway went on to win a couple Super Bowls, and Elway was a great quarterback. I, I hate the guy, but he was a great quarterback. But it really, if you if you look back at the two of their legacy, and if anyone ever wants to try to, you know, which one was better, no one can ever resolve those debates. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, it almost felt like that was at stake with that game. You know, who who really is more clutch? Who really is the, you know what I mean, the the, the, the captain comeback sure. and all that stuff. And so the Chiefs have that going for them despite the stupid Broncos and their stupid being undefeated and stupid Von Miller. <laughs> and their stupid Peyton Manning that has beaten the Chiefs every time so far. I hate that guy. Yeah. I'm sure he's a perfectly nice guy. Well, you know, uh, the other thing is, you know, the down years in college that I had to go through. My buddy is a diehard Colts fan, so this was the team that I had to watch from January and beyond. So I've kind of adopted the Colts as my second. Oh, there you go. You got to see him win a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I had to watch them beat my team in the Super Bowl. Yeah, uh, that had to have been rough. We we elected not to watch the game together. We knew that we would murder each other if we had to watch the game. In each other's presence, so that's smart. Yeah. So, anyway, Seth, I want to thank you uh, for being on the show, and uh, thanks so much uh, for for being here, and and hope that uh, we can find a reason to have you on the show somewhere in the uh, in the future. So, because I know that we don't play the AFC West that often, but uh, we'll find a reason to get you back on. That that sounds good. I appreciate you having me, Seth uh, Kaiser, not Kaiser. Seth (laughs) Kaiser. Arrowhead Pride from SB Nation, talking Bears and Chiefs, week number five. So thanks again to Seth Kaiser for being on the show. And like I said, hope to have him back at some point. And, you know, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll do review shows at the end of the season or something. An excuse to have everybody back on the show one more time before we, before we have to move on to the AFC South and NFC East uh, being the opponents for 2016. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do to get Seth back on the, uh, on the show. So like I said, great conversation with him. And, and you know, you see how, how he talked about the team. And, and, you know, he knows the team well enough, just like we know our team and, and, and everything like that. And it just uh, – I kind of walked away from the interview feeling better about the Bears' chances uh, going into this one. And, uh, you know, he just made it sound easy, didn't he? I mean, maybe he's just – maybe this is the rope-a-dope. He's luring us in. This is the false sense of security. The next thing you know, he's going to bust out the uppercuts and Jamal Charles is going to eat us alive and, and you know, and Houston's going to come in there and just start smashing Cutler into the ground and Jimmy Clausen's going to have to come in and then it's just going to be – Mass suicides in Chicago having to watch that game. However, the Cubs and Cardinals will be game number two in the NLCS or NLDS uh, on Sunday. So maybe we'll have a reprieve, you know, if the Bears uh, if the Bears blow it against the Chiefs on Sunday. But man, how about them Cubbies, man? How about it? Born and raised on the North Side. This is nah, some about it. It's like just oh, oh, oh. expect, expect. If the Cubs win the World Series there's going to be a knee-jerk reaction. I promise. If the Cubs win the World Series, I will share with the world what I was going through at that moment. I swear it. That will happen. Okay, so if, if, you, if you're not a Cubs fan or you're a stinking Southsider and you root for the White Sox, 
you know, enjoy hell. But you know, um, if 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 ever there was a reason to root for the Cubs, this was it. If you want to hear what I go through, what I, because I'm gonna blubber like a baby when this happens. You might if have you ever seen Anchorman? That's that that scene in the movie where where Ron Burgundy is blubbering through his tears when he's trying to thank his boss for rehiring him at the end of the movie. You know, <laughs> that's what I am going to sound like trying to express to the world what it feels like to witness a 108-year streak come to an end. You know, I mean, even if it happens next year or in 2017, whatever, it's going to happen, I, I feel, with Joe Madden as the manager, with uh, this group of kids that we have coming up together and, 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 and making it happen. If it doesn't happen this year, it's going to happen real soon. Uh, just, it's just... Uh, you just got a feeling that that you know, much like the Red Sox were kind of built up to have that long sustained success, Theo Epstein, who's been facing a lot of fire from Chicago because the, the Cubs didn't start winning the moment he walked through the door, they're gonna tear down Harry's Carey statue and build one of him if the Cubs win the World Series because of the moves and the, the how he engineered making it happen. Just you know, for him to be the guy that. Uh, Ended the streak for Boston and then again, or the curse, I should say, for Boston and then again for the Cubs. That's just, uh, you know, they'll erect a statue for him at, in Cooperstown if he does that because the two most uh, prestigious, if you will, streaks in, in sports, 86 years for Boston, 108 for the Cubs, he had a hand in ending them both. That would be unbelievable. So, so yeah. Anyway, that's just my final note. I'm just I'm not a baseball fan, but I'm a Cubs fan. I grew up on the North Side, like I said, literally like ten minutes away from Wrigley Field. I uh, went to some games when I was a kid, and 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 everything. And Ryan Sandberg and Sean Dunstan, Mark Grace, and you know the list goes on and on and on. Sammy Sosa when I was in high school, and and all that kind of stuff. And uh, you know I've been through the ringer with them in my short time on this planet, and. Uh, I'm hoping to, uh, you know, unfortunately my grandfather didn't live long enough to see him win a world championship, and I'm only 37 now, so I got plenty of time to to see it happen. But I'd like to see it happen before I start getting, before I start getting gray hair. So, anyway, on to the back to the to Bears game. Looking forward to the game on Sunday. Like I said, Seth Kaiser gave us some some reasons to be optimistic about the Bears' chances on Sunday. Hopefully, that 12th man. Uh, in in Kansas City won't be too ominous uh, for the Bears, and they'll be able to play through it and make it happen uh, on Sunday. So uh, I did pick the Bears to win this week. Something like I said, I just walked away from that talk with Seth, feeling a lot better about the Bears' chances uh, in the football game, especially with Jay Cutler at quarterback. And I'm just hoping that uh, that that we hopefully get it figured out with the offensive line that that doesn't become a reason that we don't succeed on Sunday because Jay is spending too much time running for his life and and making bad Jay Cutler throws because he's thrown off his back foot like he did on that interception uh, to Charles Woodson, throwing off the back foot because he was under pressure uh, and so on. So hopefully the Bears can hold it together and get it done on Sunday uh, against the Chiefs. So that's going to do it for the Week 5 preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. Come back on Monday when we'll review this game uh, against the Chiefs and, uh, you know, bear up and bear down uh, and knee-jerk reactions across the board. Looking forward to it. And you might even have some some cheering from me because maybe the Cubbies won games one and two in the NLDS and we're looking to sweep in Chicago uh, on Tuesday when they come back to Wrigley finally. So anyway, I'm super excited about the Cubs, even though I can't watch baseball on television. It's 
you know, I might as well be watching paint dry. That's how boring it is to me. But anyway, I love them Cubbies, and, all, and I'm not going to miss them making history. That's for sure. So anyway, that's going to do it for the Week 5 preview episode. We're back on Monday. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Chicago Bears Review. Some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a a good one. In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more, but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.